Today on Growing Through Grace. There has been great controversy in the church about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. A lot of times when I talk to people about this wonderful work of God, there is these preconceived notions that prohibit people letting the Lord's Word be the final word about faith and practice. Listening to Growing Through Grace with Pastor Jacob Elam of Morningstar Christian Chapel in Whittier, California. And we're back on the road with Paul the Apostle as he begins his third missionary journey. Pastor Jack will be teaching us out of Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7 today, as Paul is back at Ephesus to build up the work already going on there. These earnest believers were close to the kingdom of God but needed to hear the truth about Jesus. So let's listen in as our teacher sheds some light on this vital component of faith. Here's Pastor Jack. All right, let's open our Bibles tonight to Acts chapter 19. We'll continue our verse by verse and chapter by chapter journey through the book of Acts. We finished last week in chapter 18, beginning in verse 23, towards the end of the chapter, of looking at what was happening in Ephesus while Paul was gone. Two couple, this couple, Achille and Priscilla, um, had taken a fellow in named Apollos. He was a uh, Egyptian fellow. He had met the Lord. He was at the synagogues preaching. The thing is, he had not really known anything except John the Baptist's baptism. Didn't know the gospel. Didn't know Jesus had come. Probably didn't know his name. But he was sincere with what he knew. They took him under their wings. They they passed. They they trained him for a while. He got excited about what he had learned. The Lord lit a fire on him. And he left from Ephesus and he went back to Corinth where you will find him mentioned in those letters. They're ministering for quite some time, watering what Paul had planted there for a year and a half. Meanwhile, Paul is back at his old travels. He goes to Tarsus and Iconium and, and Galatia and Phrygia. He goes to, and then he comes back to Ephesus. Maybe a year later, certainly not longer than that. But tonight we catch up with him in verse 1 of chapter 19. You see how quickly we're doing this now? It's going to run out pretty soon. Um, and he's going to begin to minister there. And we just want to take a look at the first seven verses tonight because I think there's a principle. Because, because Acts is a narrative, and I've mentioned to you before, the lesson is in the report of what happens. Unlike the book of Ephesians, which is filled with doctrine that you have to kind of repeat to yourself and, and see how it fits together and, and absolutes that, that have to be you know, discussed and, and, and understood, like all doctrine is, it's work. Uh, narrative tends to be a guy painting a picture and you just kind of listen and watch. And as you watch, you make your determinations of how God worked and what he wanted and what he honored and what he didn't and who he used and who he wouldn't. And then you can walk away knowing these things are important. So we want to look at the, the, the setting and, and the, the action that is not only found here, but it is repeated throughout the chronicles of the book of Acts. So... Verse 1 says this, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, he came to Ephesus, and he found some disciples and said to them, Do you 
Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said to him, We don't know if there is anything such as a Holy Spirit. And Paul said to these men, 12 of them, Okay, then what were you baptized onto? And they said, We were baptized into John's baptism. John the Baptist. And Paul said, Well, John the Baptist, he baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Jesus Christ. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul, like I said, came here on his way home the last time. Felt like there was a ministry here. Left a couple of disciples there. And as he comes into town, he meets what really is a fruit of Apollos' ministry. Remember, we told him, were told in the last chapter that Apollos didn't know that either. Until he got a, uh, they got a hold of him, of killing Priscilla, he ministered what he knew, and this was all that he knew. So I suspect that, that, that Paul comes into town, he inherits some of Apollos' disciples. That's all they know. Whereas Apollos goes to Corinth and he inherits a whole lot of disciples Paul had left behind after being there a year and a half on his second journey. So there's a lot of interaction in between the churches and the ministries and all. But, but what we read, notice verse uh, 25 of the last chapter. It says, This man had been instructed in the ways of the Lord. He was fervent in spirit. He spoke accurately in the things that he, that he, of the Lord that he, that he knew, but he only knew of the baptism of John. That was Apollos. That's exactly what these 12 fellows here, uh, verse 7 tells us there were 12, uh, now find themselves. So they had been told that they needed to repent of their sins, though they, were, they, they may very well have been Jews. They were told that they had to acknowledge their sin. They were told that they had to confess their failures and that they should be ready for a Messiah that was coming. But it had been so little time really between the beginning of this book to the end of the book, less than 30 years, that there was still a lot of misunderstanding, certainly. And part of that misunderstanding was, was in, the, in the fullness of the gospel. And so Paul shows up, finds some pretty devout guys, right? And he, talking to them, realizes they're not saved. They are ready to be saved. They have, they have admitted their sinfulness. They are willing, you know, to go that next step, but they were missing some vital information. So Paul starts with the baptism of John, which is always kind of the, the part of the gospel anyway, right? That you repent of your sins and, and see yourself in need of a Savior. And then he quickly turns him to Jesus as the Savior and the Lord. These 12 men listened. They were believing. They were responsive to what uh, Paul had to say, and, and before the day was out, it seems, they were identifying with Jesus and receiving the Lord and being saved. Now, for most of us, that would be a pretty good day, don't you think? I mean, you've led 12 people to the Lord today. Thank you very much. I think I'll take a break, have some lunch, and go to a movie. It's been a busy day. But for Paul, that was not the end of things. It was, in many ways, simply the beginning. Because as you will read in the book of Acts, as we continue, there was always this extremely important issue of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And wherever you find the church at work, you find the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit spoken about, ministered to, 
people invited to call upon God's Spirit. In fact, we read in verse 6 here, And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues, and they prophesied, and the men were about 12 in all. If you stop at verse 5, it's a pretty good day. But Paul went beyond their salvation, beyond their water baptism, beyond their correction of their information, beyond everything that we would long to have our friends and family know, that Jesus is Lord, he'll save you. And Paul, bringing them to that point, began to pray for them, lay his hands upon them, that the Holy Spirit would fall upon their lives. For the sixth time in this, what isn't that big of a book when you start to to divide it up, the early church is, is seen as the disciples pray for, reach out towards, and give to someone else this outpouring of the Holy Spirit so that they can better minister to others. There has been to this day, and there continues to be, great controversy in the church about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it is words and defines and definitions that we can work ourselves through. A lot of times it seems to me, when I talk to people about this wonderful work of God, there is these preconceived notions that prohibit people letting the Lord's word be the final word about uh, faith and practice, which it should always be. The book of Acts is God's guide. It is the blueprint for the church and for outreach. And you will find that this event, this baptism of the Holy Spirit upon the life of a believer, like these 12 believers that were baptized in the water here, becomes really the, the pivotable, pivotable. That, that's not a good word either, Jason, jugular. It, it becomes the, the pivotal and, and vital role of, of God's Spirit in the life of the church. In fact, the success that you find here, the fruit that you find, the establishment of the church, were all directly connected to the work of God's Spirit. I am sure that those brothers and sisters who today, when, when I spoke to them, said there is no baptism of the Holy Spirit for, for today. It stopped with the apostles, or it stopped when the Bible was fully written, or it stopped when you know those who... Who, who don't allow and, and won't allow the Bible to be as current today as every other book. I'm sure that I, I will find them in heaven one day because of the blood of Jesus, which saves us. It's not, it's not an argument I necessarily want to push along. But I also believe that if God has for me his power to serve, I don't want to live a powerless life to be saved but never have much influence. And because of the frequency with which the baptism of the Holy Spirit is presented in the, in the chronicles of the book of Acts, in the history of the early church, I think we have to take it seriously. Uh, I believe, and I'll try to show you biblically in the next few minutes, that every Christian should be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I think he is essential for your life, for your ministry, for the gifts that you need, I think if you have an overview of the book of Acts in, in terms of this gift from God, that you should allow the Bible to convince you that that would be so. If you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, tonight before we dismiss, I'd love to pray for you, to God to fill you. There are three relationships that you have with the Holy Spirit of God. 
they are expressed in the Bible by three prepositions. The word with, para. The word in, which is kind of pronounced even in Greek, en. Just change the I to an E. And then the third one, upon, hepi. Those three. The Holy Spirit is with us. He is in us. Or at least if we believe he is with us. And we receive Christ. And he will come upon us. They are uniquely different in experience. They are all set before us very clear, clearly. And the guidance comes from the scriptures. The fact that the Holy Spirit is with all men is pretty, I think, clear to see or easy to see, I guess. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world, not the church, the world, of their sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And then he says, of their sin because they won't believe in me. The work of the Holy Spirit in the world. Convince them they have to turn to Christ. Of righteousness because I go to the Father. If you want to know what the standard is for getting into heaven and going to the Father, look at Jesus. He's the standard of righteousness. If you don't measure up to him, good luck standing before the Father in heaven one day. I go to the Father by, by implication. I'm received there because I've lived a sinless life. And thirdly, he says that he will come to convict the world of judgment because the prince of this world has been judged. Or if you will, with Jesus' death and, our, and the salvation that he offers, we can have victory over the devil. We, in God's power, can, can beat out a guy that can beat us up without God's help. So that's the work of the Holy Spirit in the world. He is with the world. In John 14, Jesus said, I'm going to pray to the Father. He's going to send you another helper that he might abide with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world can't receive him. The world doesn't see him. The world doesn't know him. And then he said this, you know him. He has been with you, para. He shall be in you. And Jesus makes this promise of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that that convicts you in the world when you are saved, fills you, comes to dwell within you, gives you a new heart, teaches you from the inside out, the scriptures, so that you don't need it that any man teach you. That's what the Bible says. Well, then why do we have pastors and teachers? Well, not that we shouldn't be taught, but, but he's the one who teaches. He's the one who drives it home. So the relationship of the Holy Spirit being with you lasts until... You're born again, where he, then he moves in you. He's still with you, but now he's also dwelling in you. Or until you physically die, and if you haven't been saved, that'll be a horrible day. Or if you become a reprobate. The Bible says that the Lord's Spirit will not always strive with man. And there's certainly several indications in the Bible, examples of people who lived vile lives, said no to God enough, where the Lord finally just goes, all right, have it your way, and he removes his spirit from him. In fact, Saul is a pretty good example of that in, in an Old Testament sense. So the Holy Spirit is with all of us, right? When you go to witness to people, your confidence is the Lord is going to go before you. He's going to speak to the hearts of the people because he's with them. He's also with you, but he's with them. When you come to the Lord and you are born again, there is a change that takes place. God moves in. You become a, a house for God. You become a vessel for the Lord. He moves in. It's the, the, great is the mystery of godliness. 
Christ in you is the hope of your glory. God moves into your life. You become a, a, a bearer of God's spirit. I mean, it's an amazing thought. Now, that was promised way back in the book of Ezekiel 36, where the Lord said through Ezekiel prophetically, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put a new spirit within you. I'm going to take out of your heart this heart, or out of your life this heart of stone and this heart of flesh. And instead, I'm going to put my spirit within you. You're going to walk in my statutes. You're going to know my judgments, and you're going to be able to do them. Now that's pretty prophetic. That's a, a promise from God through the life of Ezekiel. He shall come to dwell in you. Paul will write to the Romans, you're not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. Right? That preposition. That preposition. And if anyone has not the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him at all. So that's the distinctive mark, right? The Holy Spirit is with everyone. But to the children of God, he has come to dwell within us. Paul would say to the Corinthians, this church that he will write too often, spend a lot of time with, don't you know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit dwells in you? That's the difference. With us, but when we get saved, in us. Now for the disciples with Jesus, the Holy Spirit was with them three and a half years. The account of the a resurrection of Jesus, that, that Easter evening meeting is found in both John 20 and Luke 24. And I bring that up to you because there is the, you will find the report of the Holy Spirit now entering into the lives of the people. And though the church hasn't necessarily been born yet officially as it will be on Pentecost, these men and women, 120 or so, would be born again on Easter uh, evening. So in John 20, you will find the disciples hiding out for fear of the Jews after Jesus' crucifixion. He pops into the room. He commissions them, and he says, I want you to go forth and tell the world this gospel. He then breathes on them, and he says, Receive you the Holy Spirit. And they are born again. The Holy Spirit moves into their lives. Jesus gives them the authority to tell others how to get saved. Whoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. Whoever sins you remit or hold on to, they're, they're remitted. It doesn't mean you have the authority to say, I forgive you and I don't forgive you. But what it does give you the power to do is say to the world, as the Holy Spirit would, you want forgiveness, you've got to find it in Christ. If you call on Jesus' name, your sins will be forgiven. You have a, you have a message to preach based upon the work of Jesus. In Luke 24, which is the other one, you find that the effects of the new birth, the, the Holy Spirit moving into us, or into them, was, was, is documented. For example, it says in Luke 24, 45, he opens up their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And so they are saved. The Holy Spirit moves within them. And you might suspect the very next thing Jesus would say was, now get out there and tell someone. But he doesn't. He says this, I want you to wait here in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes happy upon you. The Holy Spirit was already with them. On Easter evening, he breathed the Holy Spirit within them. Their understanding was, you know, when you understand the scripture, you know the, whole, the Lord is with you. Because those things are not, you know, discerned by your flesh. But then the Lord says to these men and women, wait here until you get power. And for the next 50 days, 
they had to wait. They waited, they prayed. You can read of some of their activities. You, you will find Peter reading the Bible and them understanding it very well. But, but the Lord said to them, I want to send you out from Jerusalem. You're going to be witness to the whole world. But wait, you need this power from on high. Which brings us to this power from on high, the Holy Spirit upon our lives. In the Old Testament, you will find several shadows or examples or, 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 or experiences of, of those who love the Lord and found themselves interacting with the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, when Moses was overwhelmed with the work and the Lord gave him 70 helpers, he said to the Lord, I can't bear the burdens of myself. And, and you'll read there in, in Numbers 11 that the Lord said, well, I'm going to come down, you gather them together, and I'm going to take of the Spirit that is upon you, and I'm going to place it upon them. Same word, right? Now, this was a time before the Holy Spirit ever lived within anyone, because the new birth is, is definitely New Testament-ish, if you will. So uh, they're going to help you bear the burden. And the Lord came down with... It says in uh, Numbers 11:25, in a cloud, the spirit that was upon Moses, he put upon them, and they began to speak and to prophesy, and uh, the Lord was with them. Now, that experience of the Holy Spirit upon their lives in the Old Testament was not necessarily permanent. It can be with you, and it, God's promises to you and I, is it permanent? Yes. But to the Old Testament saint or, or non-saint even, um, there was no assurance that that anointing to serve the Lord would, would stay constant. If you read of the, the calling of Saul to be king, you will read that the Holy Spirit came upon Saul and that he, he rested upon him and that he was not the man that he used to be and yet he never again prophesied. The, the Lord came, he wanted to use Saul, but Saul was a refusing kind of flesh, so he wouldn't be used, he, he wouldn't obey. But, but for that time when the Lord says, here, I'll use you, his spirit fell upon Saul to enable him to do what we need, to be a good witness, to speak for the Lord, to hear his voice. He did the same thing in, in 1 Samuel 16 to David. And uh, Samuel brought this horn of oil and he anointed David. And it says, 1 Samuel 16, that the Spirit of God came upon David, and that he was with him from that day forward. Now, if you you know remember the story, when David years later got in trouble with Bathsheba and tried to hide his sin, when, when David was confronted and eventually had to confess to the Lord his failure there in Psalm 51, one of the sentences that he cried out to the Lord in prayer was this, Take not your Holy Spirit from me. That, unfortunately, is all that we have time for today, but we'll pick up the balance of Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7, the next time we're together. This has been the first half of a two-part study taught by Pastor Jack Abelin. If you'd like to get the entire message, we do have that available for you. All you need to do to order, simply contact us and ask for study number 3073. And when you get a hold of us, be sure to mention the call letters of the radio station that you're listening to. And as we're studying through the book of Acts, we'd like to let you know that we have all of Pastor Jack's teachings through the book of Acts on a single MP3 USB flash drive. Well, this way you can go back and listen to any previous studies, or you can stop and start, or you can share these amazing studies of the Acts of the First Century Church with a friend or family member. 
So if you'd like to order Pastor Jack's studies through the Book of Acts, all in the MP3 format on a single USB flash drive, or to get today's study, just dial our toll-free phone number at 866-88-GRACE. That's 866-884-7223. Again, that's 866-884-7223. You can also order by mail. Just address your letter to Growing Through Grace, P.O. Box 1954, Whittier, California, 90609. Or this and all of our resources are available online at growingthroughgrace.com. Again, that's growingthroughgrace.com. Now here's Pastor Jack with a special announcement about a trip that he's leading coming up September 23rd through October the 3rd of 2024. Hi, this is Pastor Jack. I want to tell you about an exciting trip that we are planning here at the church for next year with some of our radio listeners as well. We're going to walk in the footsteps of Paul. We'll be going over to Greece to look at such places as Athens and Corinth, over to Turkey to see the ruins of Ephesus, to Patmos where John wrote the book of Revelation, as well as taking a three-day Aegean cruise. So I hope you'll join us. We'll be ending our trip in Rome, looking at the Colosseum and the Forum, the Catacombs and the Mamertine Prison. It's going to be a great time of learning and getting to know each other. We hope you'll join us and so we can get to know you as well. For more information, you can turn to inspiredtravel.com and then look for the Morningstar Footsteps Tour. Or you can call Inspired Travel at 714 area code 9578606. That will bring things to a close for us today. We do appreciate you tuning in. So until next time, as you daily walk with our Lord Jesus Christ, may you continue to grow in His grace. Growing Through Grace is a listener-supported ministry brought to you by Morningstar Christian Chapel in Whittier, California, a Calvary Chapel outreach.